Section 12 of the Freedman's Book by Lydia Maria Child. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Toussaint L'Overture, Part 3, by L. Maria Child. This return of the old slaveholders excited some uneasiness among the black laborers, but Toussaint, who often spoke to them in simple parables, sprinkled a few grains of rice into a vessel of shot and shook it. See, said he, how few grains of white there are among the black. At that time General Napoleon Bonaparte had become very famous by his victories, and had recently been made ruler of France. There were many points of resemblance between his career and that of the hero of St. Domingo. It was a common thing for people to say, Napoleon is the first of the whites, and Toussaint l'Ouverture is the first of the blacks. If General Toussaint had known the real character of Napoleon, he would not have felt flattered by being compared with such a selfish, tyrannical, and treacherous man. But like the rest of the world, he was dazzled by his brilliant reputation, and felt that it was a great honor to him to be called the Black Napoleon. The vainest thing that is recorded of him is that on one of his official letters to Bonaparte he wrote, To the first of the whites, from the first of the blacks. It was a departure from his usual habits of dignity, and was also poor policy, for Bonaparte had been rendered vain by his great success, and he was under the influence of aristocratic planters from St. Domingo, who would have regarded it as a great insult to couple their names with a negro. General Toussaint soon had reason to suspect he had been mistaken in the character of the famous man, whom he had so much admired. He wrote several deferential letters to Bonaparte, on official business, but the First Consul never condescended to make any reply. It was soon rumored abroad that proprietors of estates in St. Domingo, residing in France, were urging him to send an army to St. Domingo to reduce the blacks again to slavery. Governor Toussaint could not believe that the French government would be persuaded to break the solemn promises it had made to the colony. But when he sent General Vincent to Paris to obtain Bonaparte's sanction to the new constitution, the wicked scheme was found to be making rapid progress. In vain General Vincent remonstrated against it as a measure cruel and dangerous. In vain he represented the contented, happy, and prosperous state of the island. In vain did many wise and good men in Paris urge that such a step would be unjust in itself, and very disgraceful to France. The First Consul turned a deaf ear to all but the haughty old planters from St. Domingo. The Legislative Assembly in France, though still talking loudly about liberty and the rights of man, were not ashamed to propose the restoration of slavery and the slave trade in the colonies, and the wicked measure was carried by a vote of 212 against 65. In May 1801, Bonaparte issued a decree to that effect, but he afterwards considered it prudent to announce that the islands of St. Domingo and Guadeloupe were to be accepted. When this news reached St. Domingo, the people were excited and alarmed. They asked each other anxiously, How long shall we be accepted? On that point no assurances were given, and all suspected that the French government was dealing with them hypocritically and treacherously. 
the soul of Toussaint was on fire. If the names of the men who voted for the restoration of slavery were mentioned in his presence, his eyes flashed and his whole frame shook with indignation. He published a proclamation in which he counseled obedience to the mother country, unless circumstances should make it evident that resistance was unavoidable. In private, he said to his friends, I took up arms for the freedom of my color. France proclaimed it, and she has no right to nullify it. Our liberty is no longer in her hands. It is in our own. We will defend it or perish. General Toussaint had sent his two eldest sons to Paris to be educated. As a part of the plan of deception, General Bonaparte invited the young men to visit him. He spoke of their father as a great man, who had rendered very important services to France. He told them he was going to send his brother-in-law, General Leclerc, with troops to St. Domingo, but he assured them that it was not for any hostile purpose. It was merely to add to the defense of the island. He wished them to go with General Leclerc and tell their father that he intended him all protection, glory, and honor. The next day Bonaparte's minister of marine invited the young men to a sumptuous dinner, and at parting presented each with a splendid military uniform. The inexperienced youths were completely dazzled and deceived. In January 1802, General Leclerc sailed with sixty ships and thirty thousand of Bonaparte's experienced troops. When Governor Toussaint received tidings that a French fleet was in sight, he galloped to the coast they were approaching, to take a view of them. He was dismayed, and for a moment discouraged. He exclaimed, All France has come to enslave St. Domingo. We must perish. He had no vessels, and not more than sixteen thousand men under arms. But his native energy soon returned. The people manifested a determination to die rather than be enslaved again. He resolved to attempt no attack on the French, but to act wholly on the defensive. Leclerc's army attacked Fort Liberty, killed half the garrison, and forced a landing on the island. Toussaint entrenched himself in a position where he could harass the invaders, and the peaceful, prosperous island again smoked with fire and blood. Leclerc, still aiming to accomplish Bonaparte's designs by hypocrisy, scattered proclamations among the blacks of St. Domingo, representing that Toussaint kept them in a kind of slavery on the plantations, but that the French had come to set them wholly free. This did not excite the rebellion which he intended to provoke, but it sowed the seeds of doubt and discontent in the minds of some. At the same time that he was playing this treacherous game, he sent Toussaint's two sons to their father, accompanied by their French tutor, to deliver a letter from the First Consul, which ought to have been sent three months before. The letter was very complimentary to General Toussaint, but it objected to the Constitution that had been formed, and spoke in a very general way about the liberty which France granted to all nations under her control. It counseled submission to General Leclerc, and threatened punishment for disobedience. The tone of the letter, though apparently peaceful and friendly, excited distrust in the mind of General Toussaint, 
which was increased by the fact that the letter had been so long kept from him. Knowing the strength of his domestic affections, orders had been given that if he surrendered, his son should remain with him, but if he refused, they were to return to the French camp as hostages. Though his heart yearned toward his children, from whom he had been so long separated, he said to their tutor, Three months after date you bring me a letter which promises peace, while the action of General Leclerc is war. I had established order and justice here. Now all is confusion and misery. Take back my sons. I cannot receive them as the price of my surrender. Tell General Leclerc hostilities will cease on our part when he stops the progress of his invading army. His sons told him how kindly they had been treated by Bonaparte, and what promises he had made concerning St. Domingo, promises which had been repeated in the proclamation brought by General Leclerc. Toussaint had had too severe an experience to be easily deceived by fair words. He replied, My sons, you are no longer children. You are old enough to decide for yourselves. If you wish to be on the side of France, you are free to do so. Stay with me, or return to General Leclerc, whichever you choose. Either way I shall love you always. Isaac, his oldest son, had been so deceived by flattery and promises that he declared his wish to return to the French camp, feeling very sure that his father would be convinced that Bonaparte was their best friend. But Placide, his stepson, said, My father, I will remain with you. I dread the restoration of slavery, and I am fearful about the future of St. Domingo. Who can tell what a pang went through the father's heart when he embraced Isaac and bade him farewell. General Leclerc was very angry when he found that his overtures were distrusted. He swore that he would seize Toussaint before he took his boots off. He forthwith issued a proclamation declaring him to be an outlaw. When General Toussaint read it to his soldiers, they cried out with one accord, We will die with you. He said to his officers, When the rainy season comes, sickness will rid us of our enemies. Till then, there is nothing before us but flame and slaughter. Orders were given to fire the towns as the French army approached, and to deal destruction upon them in every way. He gathered his army together at the entrance of the mountains, and aided by his brave generals Christophe and Dessalines, kept up active skirmishing with the enemy. Horrible things were done on both sides. The Bay of Mancenille was red with blood of negro prisoners slaughtered by the French. The blacks, infuriated by revenge and dread of slavery, killed white men, women, and children without mercy. General Dessalines was of a savage temper, and incited his troops to the most ferocious deeds. But the natural kindliness of the negro character was manifested on many occasions, even in the midst of this horrible excitement. In many cases they guided their old masters to hiding-places in the mountains or forests, and secretly conveyed them food. Toussaint, with only a plank to sleep on and a cloak to cover him, 
was constantly occupied with planning attacks and ambuscades in preaching on sundays exhorting the people with fiery eloquence to remember that the cause of liberty was the cause of god general leclerc meanwhile was disappointed to find so many difficulties in the way of his wicked project his troops wilted under the increasing heat of the climate and began to murmur he issued proclamations promising in the most solemn manner that the freedom of all classes in st domingo should be respected these assurances induced several black regiments to go over to the french toussaint's brother paul and two of his ablest generals belair and maurepas did the same still the commander-in-chief aided by christophe and dessalines kept up a stout resistance but news came that fresh troops were coming from france and Christophe and Dessalines had an interview with General Leclerc, in which, by fair promises, he succeeded in gaining them over to the French side. A messenger was then sent to ask for a conference with General Toussaint. Solemn assurances were repeated that the freedom of the blacks should be protected, and a proposition was made that he should be colleague with General Leclerc in the government of the island, and that his officers should retain their rank in the army with reinforcements coming from France, and with his best generals gained over, Toussaint had no longer hopes of defeating the invaders, though he might send out skirmishes to annoy them. He had too little faith in the promises of General Leclerc to consent to take an oath of office under him. He therefore replied, I might remain a brigand in the mountains, and harass you with perpetual warfare so far as your power to prevent it is concerned. But I disdain fighting for mere bloodshed, and in obedience to the orders of the First Consul, I yield to you. For myself, I wish to live in retirement, but I accept your favorable terms for the people and the army. With four hundred armed horsemen he set out for the Cape to hold the proposed conference with General Leclerc. On the way, the people, thinking peace was secured without the sacrifice of their freedom, hailed him as their benefactor. Girls strewed flowers in his path, and mothers held up their children to bless him. General Leclerc received him with a salute of artillery, and made a speech in which he highly complimented his bravery, magnanimity, and good faith, and expressed a hope that, though he chose to live in retirement, he would continue to assist the government of the island by his wise counsels. In the presence of the troops on both sides, he took an oath on the cross to protect the freedom of St. Domingo. With the same solemn formalities, General Toussaint promised that the treaty of peace should be faithfully observed. The next day he explained fully to his officers and soldiers what were the terms of the treaty, and impressed upon their minds that such a promise could not be violated without committing the sin of perjury. He thanked them all for their courage and devotedness they had shown under his command, embraced his officers, and bade them an affectionate farewell. They shed tears, and expressed the greatest reluctance to part with him. But he told them that such a course would best conduce to public tranquillity. The soldiers were inconsolable. They followed him, calling out in the saddest tones, "'Have you deserted us?' he replied. 
no my children do not be uneasy your officers are all under arms and at their posts twelve years had passed since he was working on the breda estate and seeing houses and cane-fields on fire in every direction had said to his wife the slaves have risen since that time his life had been one scene of excitement danger ceaseless exertion and overwhelming responsibility he had been commander-in-chief of the armies of st domingo during five years and governor of the island about one year now with a heart full of anxiety for his people but cheered by hopes of domestic happiness he retired far from the scene of his official splendor to enery a beautiful valley among the mountains surrounded by his family he busied himself with clearing up the land and cultivating oranges bananas and coffee the people round about often came to him for advice and he freely assisted his neighbors in making repairs and improvements strangers often visited him and when he rode abroad he was greeted with every demonstration of respect general leclerc meanwhile was attacked by a new and terrible enemy his troops unused to the climate were cut down by yellow fever as a mower cuts grass in this situation had toussaint excited the blacks against them they might have been exterminated but he had sworn to observe the treaty and he was never known to break his word the kind-hearted negroes in many cases took pity on the suffering french soldiers they carried them many little comforts and even took them into their houses and nursed them tenderly meanwhile general leclerc's difficulties increased his troops were dying fast under the influence of the hot season provisions were getting scarce he wanted to disband the negro troops that had joined him but they were wide awake and suspicious on the subject of slavery and he dared not propose to disarm them he was so treacherous himself that he could not believe in the sincerity of others he was always suspecting that toussaint would again take command of the blacks and attack the remnant of his army while it was enfeebled by disease bonaparte also felt that the popularity of toussaint stood much in the way of his accomplishing the design of restoring slavery it was desirable to get him out of the way upon some pretext the french officers made him the object of a series of petty insults and wantonly destroyed the fruit on his grounds by these means they hoped to provoke him to excite an insurrection that they might have an excuse for arresting him his friends warned him that these continual insults and depredations foreboded mischief and that he ought not to submit to them he replied it is a sacred duty to expose life when the freedom of one's country is in peril but to rouse the people to save one's own life is inglorious finding private remonstrations of no use he reported to the french headquarters that he and his neighbors were much annoyed by the conduct of the french troops and that the people in the valley were made very uneasy by their rude manners and their depredations on property he received a very polite answer from general brunet inviting him to come to his house to confer with him on that and other matters connected with the public tranquillity the letter closed with these words 
you will not find all the pleasures I would wish to welcome you with, but you will find the frankness of an honorable man, who desires nothing but the happiness of the colony, and your own happiness. If Madame Toussaint, with whom it would give me the greatest pleasure to become acquainted, could accompany you, I should be gratified. If she has occasion for horses, I will send her mine. Never, General, will you find a more sincere friend than myself. Toussaint, who was sincerely desirous to preserve the public peace, and who was too honest to suspect treachery under such a friendly form, went to General Brunet's headquarters with a few attendants on the 10th of June, 1802. He was received with the greatest respect and cordiality. His hosts consulted with him concerning the interests of the colony, and they examined maps together till toward evening, when General Brunet left the room. An officer with twenty armed men entered, saying, "'The Captain-General has ordered me to arrest you. Your attendants are overpowered. If you resist, you are a dead man.' Toussaint's first impulse was to defend himself, but seeing it would be useless against such numbers, he resigned himself to his hard fate, saying, Heaven will avenge my cause. His papers were seized, his house rifled and burned, his wife and children captured, and at midnight they were all carried on board the French ship Hero, without being allowed to take even a change of clothing. His wrists were chained, he was locked in a cabin guarded by soldiers with fixed bayonets, and not permitted to hold any communication with his family. As the vessel sailed away from St. Domingo, Toussaint, gazing on the outline of its mountains for the last time, said, They have cut down the tree of liberty, but the roots are many and deep, and it will sprout again. Toussaint Louverture was even then incapable of imagining the base designs against him, he supposed that he had been accused of something, and was to be carried to France for trial. Conscious of uniform fidelity to the French government, he felt no uneasiness as to the result, though the treachery and violence with which he had been treated in return for his great services made him very sad. Arrived on the shores of France, he was removed to another vessel, and allowed only a few moments to say farewell to his wife and children. They embraced him with tears, and begged him to remember them, who had always loved him so dearly. From the vessel, instead of being carried to Paris for trial, as he expected, he was hurried into a carriage, and followed by a strong guard, was carried to the dismal castle of Joux, near the borders of Switzerland. That ancient castle stands among the mountains of Jura, on the summit of a solid rock five hundred feet high. He was placed in a deep, dark dungeon, from the walls of which the water dripped continually. This was in August, 1802. But though it was summer elsewhere, it was damp and cold in Toussaint's dreary cell. The keeper was allowed about four shillings a day to provide food for him, and one faithful servant, who had accompanied the family from St. Domingo, was allowed to remain with him. His spirits were kept up for some time with the daily expectation of being summoned to attend his trial, but time passed on, 
and he could obtain no tidings from the French government or from his family. In a letter to General Bonaparte, beseeching him to let him know of what he was accused and to grant him a trial, he wrote, I have served my country with honor, fidelity, and integrity. All who know me will do me the justice to acknowledge this. At the time of the revolution I spent all I had in the service of my country. I purchased but one small estate on which to establish my wife and family. I neglected nothing for the welfare of St. Domingo. I made it my duty and pleasure to develop all the resources of that beautiful colony. Since I entered the service of the Republic I have not claimed a penny of my salary. I have taken money from the Treasury only for public use. If I was wrong in forming a Constitution, it was through my desire to do good, and thinking it would please the government under which I served. I have had the misfortune to incur your displeasure, but I am strong in the consciousness of integrity and fidelity, and I dare affirm that among all the servants of the State no one is more honest than myself. This letter is still in existence, and some of the words are blotted out by tears that fell while the noble captive was writing it. Bonaparte paid no attention to this manly appeal. After weary waiting, Toussaint wrote again, First Consul, it is a misfortune to me that I am not known to you. If you had thoroughly known me while I was in St. Domingo, you would have done me more justice. I am not learned, I am ignorant, but my heart is good. My father showed me the road to virtue and honor, and I am very strong in my conscience in that matter. If I had not been so devoted to the French government, I should not be here. All my life I have been in active service, and now I am a miserable prisoner, without power to do anything, sunk in grief and with health impaired. I ask you for my freedom, that I may labor for the support of my family. For my venerable father, now a hundred and five years old, who is blind and needs my assistance, for my dearly loved wife, who separated from me cannot, I fear, endure the afflictions that overwhelm her and for my cherished family, who have made the happiness of my life. I call on your greatness. Let your heart be softened by my misfortunes. This touching appeal met with the same fate as the first. Bonaparte even had the meanness to forbid the prisoners wearing an officer's uniform. When he asked for a change of clothing, the cast-off suit of a soldier and a pair of old boots were sent him. There seemed to be a deliberate system of heaping contempt upon him. The daily sum allowed for his food was diminished, and the cold winds of autumn began to howl round his dungeon. They doubtless thought that so old a man, accustomed to tropical warmth and the devotion of a loving family, would die under the combined influence of solitude, cold, and scanty food. But his iron constitution withstood the severe test. The next step was to deprive him of his faithful servant, Mars Plaisir. 
seeing him weep bitterly, Toussaint said to him, Would I console thee under this cruel separation? Be assured I shall never forget thy faithful services. Carry my last farewell to my wife and family. The farewell never reached them. Mars Placier was lodged in another prison, lest he should tell of the slow murder that was going on in the castle of Joux. Toussaint's supply of food was gradually diminished, till he had barely enough to keep him alive. Merely a little meal daily, which he had to prepare for himself in an earthen jug. The walls sparkled with frost, and the floor was slippery with ice, except immediately around his little fire. Thus he passed through a most miserable winter. He was thin as a skeleton, but still he did not die. As a last resort the governor of the castle went away, and took the keys of the dungeon with him. He was gone three days, and when he returned, Toussaint was lying stiff and cold on his heap of straw. Doctors were called in to examine him, and they certified that he died of apoplexy. This was in April, 1803, after he had been more than eight months in that horrid dungeon, and when he was a little more than sixty years old. The body was buried in the chapel under the castle. It was given out to the world that the deceased prisoner was a revolted slave, who had been guilty of every species of robbery and cruelty, and that he had been thrown into prison for plotting to deliver the island of St. Domingo into the hands of the English. When the family of Toussaint Louverture were informed of his death, they were overwhelmed with grief, though they had no idea of the horrid circumstances connected with it. The two oldest sons tried to escape from France, but were seized and imprisoned. The French government feared the consequences of their returning to St. Domingo. The youngest son soon after died of consumption. Madame Toussaint sank under the weight of her great afflictions. Her health became very feeble, and at times her mind wandered. When the power of Bonaparte was overthrown, and a new government introduced into France, a pension was granted for her support, and her two sons were released from prison. She died in their arms in 1816. There was great consternation in St. Domingo when it was known that Toussaint Louverture had been kidnapped and carried off. There was an attempt at mutiny among the black soldiers, but the leaders were shot by the French, and the spirit of insurrection was put down for a time. No tidings could be obtained from Toussaint, and after a while he was generally believed to be dead. But his prediction was fulfilled. The tree of liberty that had been cut down did sprout again. Bonaparte sent new troops to St. Domingo to supply the place of those cut off by yellow fever. The French officers frequently subjected black soldiers to the lash, a punishment which had never been inflicted upon them since the days of slavery. An active slave trade was carried on with the other French colonies, where slavery had been restored, and people were frequently smuggled away from St. Domingo and sold. The mulattoes found out that people of their color were sold, as well as blacks. They had formally acted against their mother's race, not because they were worse than other men, 
but because they had the same human nature that other men have. Being free-born, and many of them educated and wealthy, and slaveholders also, they despised the blacks who had always been slaves. But when slavery touched people of their own color, they were ready to act with the negroes against the whites. Toussaint's generals, though they still held their old rank in the army, grew more and more distrustful of the French. When General Christophe accepted an invitation to dine with General Leclerc, he ordered his troops to be in readiness for a sudden blow. The French officer who sat next to him at table urged him to drink a great deal of wine, but Christophe was on his guard and kept his wits about him. At last he repulsed the offer of wine with great rudeness, whereupon Leclerc summoned his guard to be in readiness, and began to accuse Toussaint of treachery to the whites. "'Treachery!' exclaimed the indignant Christophe. "'Have you not broken oaths and treaties, and violated the sacred rights of hospitality? Those whose blood flows for our liberty are rewarded with prison, banishment, death. Friends, soldiers, heroes of our mountains are no longer around me. Toussaint, the pride of our race, the terror of our enemies, whose genius led us from slavery to liberty, who adorned peace with lovely virtues, whose glory fills the world, was put in irons like the vilest criminal." General Leclerc deemed it prudent to preserve outward composure, for General Christophe had informed him that troops were in readiness to protect him. But notwithstanding many ominous symptoms of discontent among the blacks and mulattoes, he blindly persevered in carrying out the cruel policy of Bonaparte. Shiploads of slaves were brought into St. Domingo and openly sold, then came a decree authorizing slaveholders to resume their old authority over the blacks. Bitterly did Toussaint's officers regret having trusted to the promises of the French authorities. The consciousness of having been deceived made the fire of freedom burn all the more fiercely in their souls. The blacks were everywhere ready to die rather than be slaves again. In November, 1803, General Christophe published a document in which he said, The independence of St. Domingo is proclaimed. Toward men who do us justice, we will act as brothers. But we have sworn not to listen with clemency to any one who speaks to us of slavery. We will be inexorable, perhaps even cruel, towards those who come from Europe to bring among us death and servitude. No sacrifice is too costly, and all means are lawful, when men find that freedom, the greatest of all blessings, is to be wrested from them. The closing scenes of the Revolution were too horrible to be described. General Rochambeau, who commanded the French army after the death of General Leclerc, was a tyrannical and cruel tool of the slaveholders. Everywhere colored men were seized and executed without forms of law. Maurepas, who had been one of Toussaint's most distinguished generals, was seized on suspicion of favoring insurrection. His epaulets were nailed to his shoulders with spikes. He was suspended from the yard-arm of a vessel, 
while his wife and children and four hundred of his black soldiers were thrown over to the sharks before his eyes the trees were hung with the corpses of negroes some were torn to pieces by bloodhounds trained for the purpose some were burnt alive sixteen of toussaint's bravest generals were chained by the neck to the rocks of an uninhabited island and left there to perish most of these victims were firm in the midst of their tortures and died with the precious word freedom on their lips a mother whose daughters were going to be executed said to them be thankful you will not live to be the mothers of slaves i am happy to record that all the whites were not destitute of feeling some sea captains who were ordered to take negroes out to sea and drown them contrived to aid their escape to the mountains or landed them on other shores the blacks driven to desperation became as cruel as their oppressors they visited upon white men women and children all the barbarities they had seen and suffered the wife of general paul brother of toussaint was dragged from her peaceful home and drowned by french soldiers this murder made him perfectly crazy with revenge though naturally of a mild disposition he thenceforth had no mercy on anybody of white complexion his old father gauguinou who survived toussaint about a year was filled with the same spirit and the last words he uttered were a malediction on the whites the spirit of the infernal regions raged throughout all classes and it was all owing to the wickedness of slavery on the last day of november eighteen o three little more than a year after the abduction of toussaint the french were driven from the island never more to return the colony which might have been a source of wealth to them if toussaint had been allowed to carry out his plans was lost to france for ever st domingo became independent under its old name of haiti and general christophe who was as able as toussaint but more ambitious was proclaimed emperor a law was passed and still remains in force that no white man should own a foot of soil on the island but white americans and europeans reside there and transact various kinds of business under the protection of equal laws perhaps it sometimes seemed to toussaint in the loneliness of his dungeon as if all his great sacrifices and efforts for his oppressed race had been in vain but they were not in vain god raised him to do a great work which he faithfully performed and his spirit is still marching on slavery becomes more and more odious in the civilized world and nation after nation abolishes it fifty years after the death of toussaint all the slaves in the french colonies were emancipated how his spirit must rejoice to look on the west indies now in eighteen fifty the grave of toussaint l'ouverture was discovered by some engineers at work on the castle of joux his skull was placed on a shelf in the dungeon where he died and is shown to travellers who visit the place for a long while great injustice was done to the memory of toussaint l'ouverture 
and also to the blacks who fought so fiercely in the resistance of slavery for the histories of st domingo were written by prejudiced french writers or by equally prejudiced mulattoes but at last the truth is made known candid well-informed persons now acknowledge that the blacks of st domingo sinned cruelly because they were cruelly sinned against and toussaint louverture seen in the light of his own actions is acknowledged to be one of the greatest and best men the world has ever produced a very distinguished english poet named wordsworth has written an admirable sonnet to his memory the celebrated harriet martineau of england has made him the hero of a beautiful novel wendell phillips one of the most eloquent speakers in the united states has eulogized his memory in a noble lecture delivered in various parts of the country before thousands and thousands of hearers and james redpath has recently published in boston a biography of toussaint louverture truthfully portraying the pure and great soul of that martyred hero well may the freedmen of the united states take pride in toussaint louverture as the man who made an opening of freedom for their oppressed race and by the greatness of his character and achievements prove the capabilities of black men it is better to be a lean free man than a fat slave a proverb in haiti end of toussaint louverture part three recording by rhonda fetterman